Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Friends, we are in a battleground. I feel it individually. I know if you're a Christian, a follower of God, you feel it individually, and we feel it collectively as the body of Christ. There is a battle going on. This is not the playground. God did not intend this to be the playground. Dear friends, it is the battleground, and we need to live like it is. You see, there's a difference in how we live, how we pray, how we decide, and the choices that we make when we're thinking with a battleground mentality versus a playground mentality. And I can, as I said already, I can sense it in my own spirit and I know that the devil is fighting because I believe that he knows his time is short and that he is ramping up his efforts to destroy humanity. And the more that his evil is exposed, the more that sin is brought into the light and the more that people see how deceptive sin is and how ruinous sin is. And we get sick and tired of it. I believe the devil knows that there is something big coming, that God is about to win some major victories. And he's doing everything that he can to oppose, to stop, to discourage, to defeat the church of the living God. But this is not the time to pack up and quit. This is not the time to back up. This is not the time to give in or to give up. It's a time to stand firm. Anytime I feel the devil attacking me, I get angry. I hope it's with righteous indignation. And I want to push forward more and more and more and stronger and stronger and stronger. I want to stand against the arrows of the evil one. I want to fight against him with everything that I have. A famous preacher of the past used to say it this way, and Pastor Brad has repeated it over and over and over again. And I want to fight the devil so hard and that my last dying breath, I can just swing over hell on a grapevine and shoot him with a water gun. And he said something else that I'd heard a famous preacher of the past say it this way, too, that I'm going to chew on the devil as long as I have teeth. And when those teeth fall out, I'm just going to gum him to death. And we, we have that same attitude. I know those are humorous examples, but we need to have our face set and we need to go forward with the Lord. Don't let anything deter you. Don't let anything cause you to give in or to give up. Don't let sin have a place in your life. Be thoroughly right with God. Stay true to Him. I want to get into Scripture and to show you how we can live in this battleground that we are living in today. And we are in this battleground. Don't fool yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Don't deceive yourself. I want to turn to the book of Daniel. There's a man that was living in a battleground, was he not? And, I, and I'm drawing on the hopeful attitude that you're familiar with the story of Daniel. If not, there's a whole book in the Bible called Daniel that you can turn to and read all about it. 
but certainly you've heard of Daniel and the lion's den. Sometimes we assume that people understand certain things that you may not understand. But I do encourage you, read through, especially the first few chapters of the book of Daniel, and you'll familiarize yourself with this man and with what he faced. In chapter 1, what do we see? We see Daniel is taken as a teenager into captivity, into Babylon. They want to brainwash him, literally change the way he thinks, change his diet, change his personality. They want to make him completely, totally, thoroughly Babylonian in his looks, in his attitude, in his mindset, in the way that he thinks. And the same battle is underfoot today. The wicked one, the enemy of our souls, is fighting to change the way that we think, to change our values, to cause us to not honor God with our decisions, but to go our own way instead of going God's way. We get to decide when and how and where and what or who we worship instead of looking to the one true God and seeing what does thus saith the Lord? How are we going to walk with him and in him and stay true to him? But as Daniel was facing this pressure to give in, to just blend in with the crowd, he said, no, I'm not going there. My relationship with God and my respect for God is so great and so much and so high that I am not going to give in to that. I am going to follow the one true God of all heaven and earth. And he made that choice. And as he stood firm for the Lord, every single time God delivered him, God put him ahead of the others who were around him. God put him ahead of those who had compromised. You see, he wasn't the only one brought from Israel. We hear about Daniel and his three friends. We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These four we hear from, but they weren't the only four that came over from Israel and from Judah in this captivity. There were others. Where are the others? They compromised. They gave in. Their names are lost to history. We have no clue who they are. Why? Because they just went in with the flow. They gave in. When the battle got hot, when the spiritual battle ramped up, what did they do? They quit. They gave up. They packed it in. They said, this is not worth it. I'm just going along with what they tell me to do. I didn't like that diet that we had back in Israel anyway. I don't don't care which God I worship. I'm just going with the flow. I'm just going with the crowd. I'm just doing what's easy. Just want to survive. I don't want to take a stand. You know, this isn't my battle. This isn't my fight. I'm just going to go along with whatever they say and tell me to do. But Daniel said, no, he purposed in his heart. I am going to follow the Lord. I'm going to honor him with my life. And guess what? We see that God honored that decision in a powerful way. He elevated Daniel and his friends into positions of leadership. Then came the test. Are they going to bow to this massive idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up of himself for everyone to hear. When they hear the music begin to play, you've got to bow down. 
You've got to worship this. You've just got to bend the knee and show reverence to King Babylon. And some of the people had to be encouraging Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, look, just just put your knee down. You don't have to worship him. You don't have to think that he's your God, but you just got to show some respect to the king. Just bend your knee. It's not a big deal. It'll be over in a little bit. They said, no. This is an act of worship. You're treating this man like he is a god, like he's some kind of deity. We're not going to bend our knee. When Nebuchadnezzar saw that, he got extremely angry, and he wanted to throw them into the fiery furnace. But God delivered them miraculously out of that. And we see a little bit later with that famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard this story perhaps your whole entire life. If you're not familiar with it, again, go into the book of Daniel and read it for yourself. It's a fascinating account in Scripture. But what we see is that they changed the law. They purposefully changed the law to catch Daniel in a trick. Man, doesn't that sound like our modern-day politicians? Sometimes uh, these crooked guys get in there, and then they begin to twist things so that they can advance their selfish agenda and push forward their name and their party and their agenda and put down anyone else and everyone else along the way. And this is what it was. They wanted to get rid of Daniel. He's an outsider. He doesn't belong here. He's not one of us. How dare he rise to such a high position in the palace? How dare King Nebuchadnezzar put him at such a high and lofty position? And so they opposed him so greatly. And uh, by this time, the Medes and Persians had overtaken uh, the land of Babylon. And so it was under the rule of Darius, the Mede. And so we see that as under the Medes and Persians, this law could not be revoked even by the king. He couldn't change it even if he wanted to. But the law passed. Nobody could pray to anyone except for the king. It was a way to unify the country, a way to bring people together. They had been worshiping this God and that God, and some of them had been so beholden to King Nebuchadnezzar that they wanted to follow him like a god. And so they came up with this law. It would be good to unify the people to say that they can't pray to any other god except for the king, Darius, uh, for a certain period of time. And guess who didn't obey that? And guess who this law was ultimately intended for? That's right, Daniel. And what does he do? Does he hide behind closed doors and say, oh me, oh my, oh me, oh my, what am I going to do? He's wringing his hands just behind the blinds, peeking through, saying, are they out there? Are they trying to catch me? I know they are. They wrote this law just so that they could catch me. Oh, man, what am I going to do? Maybe I ought to compromise. Maybe I ought to just pray in secret and and not pray like I always pray. Maybe I just need to, to hold back a little bit, constrain myself a little bit for these few days, let the whole situation blow over, then I can resume my regular worship of Almighty God. Is that Daniel's attitude? If you're familiar with the passage, you know the answer to that. Absolutely not. He does not do that in any way, shape, or form. Praise God for that. What does he do instead? He flings open the windows, and he prays like he always did beforehand. 
How powerful an example that is. Friend, when you're fighting the spiritual battle, don't change your worship. There's a temptation when the spiritual battle hits to change your attitude of worship, to change your church attendance, to change your personal relationship with God in His Word and in prayer. Don't let the spiritual battle change your attitude of worship and your commitment to worshiping the one true God. And let me tell you this way. Let me just share it with you a different way. Maybe it'll hit you a little bit differently. If you notice that your worship life isn't what it was, your church attendance is dropping off, your Bible study, your prayer life isn't what it was, could it be because you've been in a spiritual battle and you've allowed the enemy to gain some room in that, and you have backed off of where you ought to be instead of drawing closer to the Lord and taking His armor on you like Ephesians 6 talks about every single day. You have allowed the enemy to gain a foothold in your life and to silence your worship and to hold you back from what you know you ought to be doing for the kingdom of the Lord and building that close relationship with the Lord God through His Word and through prayer. Don't let that distract you from doing what you know you ought to do. Don't let it become a deterrent in your worship. And so as we get on into the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel is delivered. You know, what do, What happens after he prays? Well, he gets a one-way ticket to this den of lions. Uh, somebody said it's not a lion's den because the den didn't belong to the lions in a possessive sense. It belonged to God. God was in control of that den, not the lions. And I, I like that. I get what they're saying there, and I, I like that statement. So we see that he's thrown into this pit filled with hungry lions that have been starved. And here is uh, juicy flesh for them to consume. The immediate reaction is, it's over. It's done. Daniel's dead. He's done with. He's gone. But God shut the mouths of those lions. Man, you talk about the power of Almighty God to be able to do that, and He does that in a special, miraculous way. The king comes down the next day and says, Daniel, and he is not expecting an answer, but he just hopes maybe the God of Daniel that he prays to and that he talks about all the time has rescued him from these lines. Daniel, Daniel, are you down there? You can sort of just hear him sheepishly begin to whimper. And Daniel says, yes, I'm here. God has delivered me out of the mouths of the lions. And Darius basically says, get these guys who framed him, throw them in there. And before they even touched the ground of that pit, they were already consumed by those hungry lions. We see that God revealed his glory through Daniel in that miracle. And God showed that I am the one true God No one can stand against me. No one can stand against my people. So I said, don't let the battle defeat your worship, but don't let the battle defeat your witness, friends, because the battle will defeat your witness if you let it. Daniel, if he had silenced his worship, he would have also silenced his witness. Could it be the reason that the church isn't having a greater witness today is because we've silenced our worship before we silenced our witness? 
Isn't that a powerful thought to consider? It's a convicting thought, I know, but it's something we must consider because, friends, we are in a battleground. This is not the playground. This is not when things are going to be easy. And Jesus never promised that it would be easy. In fact, he promised that in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus promised us. And Paul echoed that later on as he said that, you know, in this world you will have tribulation. And we know that we're going to have problems. We know we're going to have persecution. We know we're going to face difficult times. We are in the battlefield right here, right now. So we need to have the attitude that I'm going to go forward with God, for God, no matter what. As you move on to Daniel chapter 9, I think you see a powerful battleground prayer. You talk about worship. Somehow Daniel, when he's in Babylonian captivity, discovers the book of Jeremiah that had been written a generation previous by Jeremiah the prophet, a powerful man of God, that had to sit and watch as his people ignored God's message and instead chose the wages of their sin, if you will, the punishment of their sin, which is what God promised, separation from him, separation from the promised land in exile. It's a picture of where sin will take you and a powerful picture of the judgment of God upon sin, removing it from his very presence removing his blessing from off of those people and putting them under the authority of the ones that they really wanted to worship themselves and they wanted to live like the world. Okay, go be in the world. Be there in that place that you so desire. And yet Jeremiah stood out in his generation and he stood out from the crowd because he stayed true to God And yet God revealed to him a powerful passage. In Daniel chapter 9, it tells us in verse 2, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So if you turn back to Jeremiah 29, in verse number 10, we see it says this, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. How do you think Daniel felt when he was reading Jeremiah's scroll and he came to this place and he realized this is talking about my generation. This is talking about us. It's talking about those that are in captivity. God has said it's going to last for 70 years After 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Other translations say it this way, to give you a hope and a future. I like that. God gives us a hope. He gives us a future to give us an expected end. In the midst of his judgment, he remembers mercy and he promises them it is not forever. There is a way out. And Daniel realizes that reading this book there in captivity and he sees this powerful scripture come alive and it just grips his heart and it motivates him to go to God in prayer. 
You know, so many people have the temptation to fill their heads with biblical facts. Some of you who are listening to me, you've hung in through about 20 minutes of me talking so far, and thank you for making it so far into this, if there's anybody out there that has still made it this far. But I want to tell you, there's a temptation to fill our heads with a lot of facts and Bible knowledge and Bible uh, uh, figures and people and dates and locations and facts. But that doesn't necessarily change our hearts or move us to worship. And if it doesn't, look out. You're on dangerous ground. When I first went to seminary, my professors warned us and constantly reminded of this, reminded us of this because they had seen it for decades. So we have seen young men come in here uh, full of passion for the Lord, uh, full of burdens to uh, preach God's truth, to share His Word, to grow in Him so that they could proclaim His truth across the world. And when they graduated seminary a few years later, their spiritual life was as dead as dead can be. Why? They spent all their time studying theology and looking to pass tests and write papers and complete their assignments and in the hustle and the bustle of all of this religious exercise and education they missed the one that it was truly about and that's the one true lord god of all heaven and earth daniel doesn't do that here and in the battleground that we are in today we cannot do that we cannot listen to god's word just for more inspiration just to make us feel better about ourselves no we're in a battleground We've got to absorb it so that we can go forward with God, for God, in His truth, in His Word, proclaiming His name to all the generations. And so when Daniel understands the word of Jeremiah, it moves him to pray. And he begins his prayer, a powerful prayer that starts in verse 4 and runs down through verse 19. We don't have time to unpack it. But I encourage you, study it out for yourself. Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 down to verse 19. Understand what it says. He moves from adoration. O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Then he gets in, moves from adoration into confession. We have sinned. Had Daniel committed the sins that he begins to confess here? No, not personally, but he's talking corporately, talking about his fellow Jewish people who rebelled against God. He even mentions the prior generation that sinned against God. Not that we can pray for the dead or not that we can pray for those who have already passed away, but he's saying this sin has plagued us for generations, God. I repent of it. We have sinned. He says it again in verse 7, we've trespassed against thee. Verse 8, because we have sinned against thee. Verse 9, we have rebelled against him. Verse 11, because we have sinned against him. Verse 15, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. He is just pouring out his heart before the Lord, confessing the sins of the people. And he says in, in verse 16 down to verse 19, he moves to his petition. He starts with adoration, goes to confession, moves to petition or his request. 
And he just asks God, like in verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. He doesn't care about making a name for himself. He doesn't care about his name being glorified. He doesn't even care about getting out of Babylon himself. He doesn't care about his circumstance changing. What does he care about? He cares about the glory of God. And dear friends, I want to tell you, when we pray this way, this is such a powerful prayer that we can pray. And that's the kind of prayer that we need to model our prayers after. Praying for the glory of God, not praying to advance our name or our church or our agenda or even our country. Yes, I want to see America changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes, I want to see our churches on fire for God. Yes, I want to see the gospel spread all throughout this whole planet Earth. I want to see as many people reached with the good news of Jesus Christ as humanly possible. But that can all be secondary to the glory of God if I'm not careful. I can pray to advance my own agenda. I can pray to advance my own kingdom if I'm not careful. But I want to pray, Lord, your name be glorified. Your kingdom be built. Your kingdom be established. Your name be magnified. Did Daniel see the answers to his prayers immediately? No. But did God answer his prayers Absolutely, yes. In the next generation, there's two other books of the Bible you need to familiarize yourself with. In the Old Testament, Nehemiah and Ezra. These two men came up in the generation after Daniel. They got to return from captivity back to the promised land. They got to see a spiritual revival. They got to see a revival of worship of God back in Jerusalem one more time and how God answered the prayers in a multi-generational way. It started with Jeremiah, then moved to Daniel, then to Ezra and Nehemiah. And aren't you so glad and so blessed to know that we have this kind of God that works and moves in the kingdom of men and in our affairs. You see, the enemy thought he was silencing God's people. The enemy tried to stop Daniel time and time and time again. He tried to stop Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego time and time and time again. The enemy thought they had the upper hand, but who prevailed? God always prevails. Light always defeats darkness. We've got to keep standing strong in the light, in the truth of God and of His Word in this generation. I encourage you, pray this kind of prayer. Get on your face before God and call upon Him. Dear friends, we've got to stand firm in this hour that we live. If we give in here, if we give in now, and when I say we, I'm speaking about the church, the true remnant of believers in Jesus Christ. If we back up, if we give up, if we give in right here, right now, what will happen to the unbelieving world? What will happen to everything around us? It'll decay. It'll corrode deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. This is not the time to quit. This is the time to press forward. This is not the time to allow the devil to put you on the sideline. Get back in the game. 
get back to worship, get back and restore that worship with God. And once you do that, your witness will become restored as well. And you can be a light. You can be a beacon. You can be a Daniel. You can be Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You can be a Jeremiah. You can be a Nehemiah. You can be an Ezra in your generation that is going forward with the truth of God boldly standing upon it and never compromising the Word of God and the God of the Word. You've been listening to Answers from Antioch, and I want to invite you to connect with us on our website, AntiochBristol.com. When you're on our website, you can download the 10-minute Monday through Friday episodes of this program, as well as this weekend 30-minute edition. You can also find our audio sermons and video sermons archived there on our church website as well, that you can connect with us some more. So we want to make you aware of that Thank you so much for your prayers for us. We're praying for one another as we are in this battle together. Friend, Christian friend, you're not fighting this battle alone. You have brothers and sisters who are here to stand with you and to pray with you and to encourage you to go on and go forward for the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at AntiochBristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us, and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.